Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am extremely, extremely happy to have you here today. And man, if you are living where I am living, which is on a different plane, um, not really. If you're living in whichever part of India, I don't know, but I live in Bangalore, as you may know. And whew, it's it's something happens to me when we go through these summers. And I know we don't have it as bad as many of the other parts of the country where it's pretty shit, let's be honest, because, you know, most of, um, I wouldn't say India, but most, most places are shit if you don't, if you, if you don't live there. Um, and, you know, people are like, oh, you haven't discovered the beauties of our country. Of course I haven't, because, you know, I don't make an effort, but who has? And we need you, few people to go out there and tell us these stories with your beautiful experiences and your uh, annoying dedication to exploring the undiscovered secrets and the hidden gems of our world. So thank you, you annoying party prick. Hmm. Anyhow, I like how that started and just went down that path. But it's just something the heat just does some does a number on my head. You know, I, I can't, I've never lived in like sort of sub-zero, um, you know, uh, tundras or Arctic temperature. And I can't handle extreme cold either. It's just kind of upset. But I'm not saying I need that perfect kind of room temperature like you know climate control five degrees or 18 degrees, whatever it may be but i like it on the cooler side and it's just crazy what this is doing to me and i feel every year as i'm getting older i'm becoming more and more intolerant and my entire mood it's like when i quit smoking those first two 10 20 whatever days where you have that withdrawal it's it's worse fortunately uh, i've got back you know to smoking so you know at least something to cope with the summer because that's that's something you do you take up smoking to deal with another thing that you can't cope with which is an annoying thing that is beyond your control which is climate change but is it beyond your control sandy because according to climate experts it's not beyond your control every time you take out that condom wrapper put it back in the recycle bin don't flick it out the window onto auntie's head because you know what one you're gonna upset her because she doesn't like ribbed ultra thin and number two you're polluting you're gonna put that plastic wrapper back in the drain where it's uncontrolled it's gonna go into the flow and next thing a poor dolphin is gonna look at it going damn it ah this guy's getting laid but it's such a weird thing that we use condoms to, uh, it's a trade-off, right? We use it to prevent getting women pregnant and as a result, uh, less babies or less children. But at the same time, we're, you know, putting that shit after we use it back in uh, the, the, the garbage and it's polluting. So here's your trade-off. Now, do you use multiple condoms which add up to a certain negative score in your carbon rating or your pollution uh, count um, and you piss off a lot of tortoise tortoises tortoise and other animals in the ocean where they end up sitting there going through your garbage going man this guy had a big load or do you have a child and then um that's an entire life cycle of polluting more it's an interesting trade-off now what would you do because every human being believes human being believe human believings yeah i'm just going to call it human believings believe that it's their right to propagate and put more kids on this planet. And I'm not any judge, but I think more often than not, just like how most places are shit if you don't live there, most children are shit if they're not yours. And I think that's a similar uh, argument, and I will stick to it because I think I'm right on this one. Anyway, I wanted to think um, on this point, which is we, you know, on one end feel that every child needs to be told 
uh, by an elder that, you know, hey, don't do that. It's not good for you because I know better. But at the same time, on the flip side, we think um, that every adult not just knows more than us, but also has a certain number of points to their credit. And this is especially in sort of people say respect. And in India, it's a big thing, right? Respect your elders. And I think that's true to a large extent, especially, you know, if you know them and just by virtue of them living longer, uh, just by virtue of them seeing more shit on this planet. But is it every elder? Because I feel there are some real, uh, you know, because they have gray hair and wrinkly skin and they smell funny. I don't think all of them are wiser or uh, even more respectable. I, I think we need to kind of ju- uh, t- take a judgment call because you know, the, the, the reason why this thought came to my head is because I was reading an article in The Guardian about this 70-odd-year-old lady who was, again, arrested for her third third bank robbery. I think she did one uh, back in the 70s. She did one in 2020. I mean, as recently, 2020. And she did one last week. And the point is that goes to show that she's not gotten wiser. She's not gotten more dignified. She's just a little bit of a cunty bitch at the age of 70-odd years, eight years. And clearly, that goes to show that age doesn't always... Um, make people realize and grow up and mature and become more accepting of who they are. But some people will say, oh, she's still young at heart. She's not young at heart, she's still a cunt. And maybe there is something to look at over here because we feel that, you know, at least let me apply this to myself, right? I can't do some things like I can't... um, there are some things I can do, but I don't do because I have a better kind of gauge of what that uh, outcome might do, the consequences and how they might they might kind of affect me. Uh, there's some things I can do, some things I'd like to do that I can't do just by virtue of the fact that maybe maybe I'm not physically unable to because I'm older, but it's just like I can't be fucking bothered because I'm like, you know what, it's too much effort for that shitty outcome. And there are things I won't do because I've done them and I've realized they're pretty shit and they're not good or they're not bad or they're just not for me. So it's interesting how these are kind of the lessons if people call life lessons that most people will would like to think that they learn from them. But I think most people, just like other cities and just like other people's kids, they are pretty shit about it. They don't listen. But they use age as a rank on you. They're like, oh, I'm older. I know better. They, they don't. Trust me. A lot of people don't. A lot of people, especially in India, are old by age, but not old by wisdom or by virtue, because a lot of them have pent up emotions just by virtue of having this community based culture and society where we kind of live for others and we're, we're constantly being worried that we're being judged and we kind of do this. In the, the, the good thing about that is that we do selflessly for others. But the other side of that is that we also become so pent up with our own emotions and not able to express. We're not able to come to terms with our insecurities. We're not able to overcome our points of hurt and ego. And we constantly are fighting this thing and kind of using money and status and, and, and material kind of wealth to show that we're better than others and finally when we are like you know retire from our work we kind of shed all these various hats and these various roles that we play in society we kind of look at ourselves going hmm fuck i really haven't grown up and we are just expected to look up and say oh my god wise old man or wise old woman not really um there's a nice thing i read somewhere where i said we don't have to look at them as the elderly because the elderly then kind of looked at like ah this guy fuck adult diaper smells funny and probably pooped himself to the elders 
which is a nice thing because elders is almost like these are the people not all elders there are people who make an effort there are people who actually are worth listening to there are people who actually are worth getting guidance from and just like uh, there are certain people in their middle age and certain people who are younger there are people who are different who have a certain th- thing about them which can help in a certain space not across the board but i think there are um points of discretion which i think you must use and i think we must all use it by looking at older people because imagine if you're kind of looking up as uh, to, to this this three three time 70 plus year old bank robber uh old cunt right you're constantly like oh maybe she has something wise to say clearly not because she, yeah she's probably getting hammered uh and just going and robbing a bank and she, clearly she's probably done this twice and got caught see if she didn't get caught i would say you know what that's that's pretty cool because you know what at 70 you're not as agile your thought process may not be as smooth you might not have all the resources that you had in the 50s or in the 40s and if you can still go do that respect but clearly she got caught twice and she got caught for the third time so take a hint granny and um, yeah play monopoly or do something but yeah don't rob a bank well let me move on to my guest on today's episode nicole greer she's well has multiple roles as a coach she's an executive coach she's a business coach she's a life coach she's a career coach and the reason i really enjoy talking to nicole is she helps people understand who they are and what they are and what they want to do in different phases of their lives and we all get confused and we all kind of think that we know what we're doing and where we want to go with it but life throws its shit at you life happens and sometimes as a student you might have ideals which don't really pan out sometimes in your mid 40s in your midlife crisis you're like man you're disillusioned by that entire thing that you were subscribing to that rat race and you're like ah i don't like this anymore or you might be retired and someone said hey you're retired what are you going to do now you work for 50 years and now you really don't know who you are does it mean you call it quits and say oh i'm going to pull off my teeth and go play bridge every evening well, maybe that's good if you want to do it but a person like nicole gets insights into people who want to understand where they are in life and what they want to do with themselves and why they want to do that and we speak about attitude because i think attitude is so important is it is attitude that thing that makes one person stand apart from the other is it the one thing that makes a person overcome odds and becomes a fighter or is it a person is it a thing that gives that person the upper edge the upper hand to um navigate society and come across as more successful or more aggressive or more powerful well it's it's a lot of nuances and nicole through talking and guiding and helping so many people has a very nice perspective on attitude and what it takes to navigate society and the world in this rapidly changing society featuring technology featuring um rapid social change a lot of uncertainty and a lot of noise chaos confusion the usual good stuff i had a lovely time chatting yeah, i almost forgot the word I had a lovely time chatting with nicole and i'm sure you'll enjoy listening to our conversation thank you nicole if you're listening to this and to all of you listening i appreciate it as always until next episode goodbye god bless take care of yourselves my friend cheers Nicole Greer, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast and it's a pleasure having you here today. 
Oh, it's my delight. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to talk with you. I think we're going to have a great time. I especially think we're going to have a really fun conversation because of what um, you help people with. And there's something that really stood out when I was reading up on uh, the the things that you offer to help people with. And that one word is attitude. Um, because I'm of the belief that it is such a powerful thing and a powerful guide and maybe even a powerful representation of your will to be a certain way. And I think attitude can either uh, steer you in the right um, sort of sense of where you want to be or it can even hold you back. So maybe from your vast uh varied set of people you help from individuals professionals to uh, to older people who have retired and who are in some ways written off by society saying you're no longer a functioning member and as a result that sense of purpose is gone to even young people who don't know where they want to be in life um how would you say attitude is a part of the human experience versus a social conditioning Oh, that is a great question. Well, first thing, I think attitude um, is a choice. And if that attitude is chosen over and over and over, then that attitude actually becomes a wonderful character trait. So it becomes part of who you are. So I think definitely people are conditioned by their social surroundings, you know, the people that they're around. Uh, you probably are familiar with a gentleman named Jim Rohn. He's he's popped off the planet now. But one of the things he used to say is you are the product of the five people that you hang around with the most. And I think this is absolutely true. So you learn behaviors, you learn the attitudes, you learn the character traits from the people you're around. Um, and if you choose wisely, you choose people wisely and you choose your attitude wisely and it just becomes interior. It, it's kind of what it's like to experience you. And I think attitude can, to your point, I agree, can either serve you or it can slay you. Mm. So, you know, be very careful what attitudes you choose. I think it's a, it's a very important way that you are looked at in society and professionally, personally. I think it's very important. And, you know, the thing that I've noticed, and it's something that could be an absolutely incorrect observation, but many times before you are old enough to realize that you're of a certain, uh, per, I wouldn't say personality, but a certain um, a certain disposition with which you view the world, you already have a certain perspective, which also could shape your attitude or your attitude that could shape your perspective. So you could either be, um, you know, as, as some people say, and a go-getter, someone who's a little quieter, a little more passive. So how um, much does the family and then early education, um, what role, how much of a role, uh, positive or negative, does it play on a, you know, on a child's mind before that child has the the ability to kind of form their own, I mean, I'm not interchanging the words loosely, but opinion, perspective, but more importantly, attitude, because I feel attitude can govern to a large extent, or can it govern? That's maybe a question for you. Uh, your perspective and opinion. Yeah, well, I'm not a, I'm not a, not going to pretend that I'm an authority on how children develop because I'm not. Although I have raised two very great children that are now mm. thirty and twenty three, right. and both of them have a great attitude. I think it's because they were around parents 
who had a great attitude and developed in them um, a theology and a philosophy um, and told them, you know, here's how to move in the world and be successful. So I do think that all of that builds over time. Uh, your personality does pay, play a part in it. But uh, I have two children. They're very different. Uh, one is very fiery, outgoing, opinionated, dynamic, makes things happen. If he's not moving with his Mach 5 with his hair on fire, he doesn't he doesn't think he's alive. Um, mm-hmm. And then I have a daughter who moves a little bit slower, but is very, very thoughtful and very um, precise and intentional about everything she does. And I think you take that little raw personality. Um, I have a little diagram that I use oftentimes when I when I coach people, it's called U101. And in the center is really personality. They say that the science says that personality is in the child when the child is born. So that part where you said, you know, they're passive or they're a little go-getter. In this case, I have one of each. Um, But what what an adult uh, parent does or grandparents and the other people that influence the children, the teachers they have as they're growing up, we develop a little ring around that personality. And I call that character. And we develop these character traits, which I think do include attitude. So a wonderful character trait is enthusiasm. So you can have a very beautiful, quiet, intentional enthusiasm, and you can have a very loud, boisterous enthusiasm. <laughs> so yeah. it just, you know, that's where the personality shows up, but you can both have enthusiasm. And again, it's a choice. Um, that you make over and over as you're learning it, as you're developing it, internalizing it. But then one day it's just in there. You know, that's yeah. who you are. Yeah. And that, that's something which is, you know, I just, when I was asking you the the, the, the point about this, it's so um, inter, in, 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 interwoven sometimes without even thinking about it. We use the words interchange them loosely, right? Personality, attitude, and we even throw in like, oh, you know, look, it's it's not um, given the right context to understand. So could you, if possible, just define what attitude means? Yeah, um, I think uh, your attitude is interwoven with your personal philosophy uh, and your belief system. So again, I'll just kind of go back to that little diagram. So at the core, you have personality. Around that, you have character. Uh, So that's how you utilize or bring yourself into the world, you know, bringing your little personality with you. Um, And then I think around that is this circle called beliefs. And Mm. and so uh, beliefs are so important, like how you see the world and how you decide to approach the world is your belief system. So, for example, before you and I got started talking, we were having a little chit chat. And um, I said, I think we're going to get along famously because Mm -hmm. we kind of have the same philosophy, um, which is, you know, you you come at life, you choose, you choose carefully how you want to to approach it. And then you move in the world in either in a powerful way that is very positive or you move in the world in a way that is negative. Now, I think this is my philosophy. You can take it or leave it. But I think the great way to move in the world is positively. So, you know, there's a saying, I'm I'm down here in in North Carolina, in the South, in the States. And one of the things that's been told to us uh, as we grow up is we we either you get more honeybees with honey than you do with vinegar. And so I I totally believe that. Uh, So, you know, if I move in the world in a positive way, typically what's going to happen is I'm going to get positive things back. Now, you could call that 
um, spirit, or you could call that um, karma. You could call it whatever you want, but there is an energy that moves in the world and being positive is absolutely essential. So it is a choice, again, to be positive. Um, and you have to sit quietly and do this wonderful thing that most leaders um, do is is this thing of reflection. So, you know, I, I'm a big leadership believer. Um, I teach leadership. I do leadership development with so many different people. And when I sit down with them, I ask them to put together a leadership philosophy. And so choosing what you believe about how the world works. So again, I think you should, it, it's important to be positive. It's important to believe that you're a leader. And then I think the third thing um, in terms of belief systems is that you're not an accident. I mean, you popped on the planet because you have something you need to get done. Um, I believe that uh, the creator of all this, uh, you know, you know, didn't make me a mistake, didn't make you a mistake, and all the people who are listening are not a mistake. And so our responsibility is to figure out what is Nicole good at? What what are her skills? What are her gifts? And then bring those to the world, you know, because that those are gifts that have been given to me. And now I have to give them to the world. So all of that attitude, I would really say it boils down to, you know, how you're going to believe about the world. And then when your beliefs are in place, the attitude kind of comes. That The attitude is how you carry yourself. And uh, the last thing I'll say about attitude is you start thinking a certain way, right? And so you think, and you're like, I think this is the right thing to do. This is the right way to move in the world. And then you go in your heart and it sinks a little bit, you know, and it becomes more centered in your heart. And you're like, hmm, I know, I know this is the way I'm going to roll. This, this seems right. And then eventually this stuff gets down in your belly and your solar plexus or your soul or your gut. And you're like, nope, this is the way I roll. This is the way I move in this world. And that's the way I'm going to be. And I think it's going to work. Let's go. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of, you know, internalize uh, your attitude. That doesn't mean you might slip out into have a bad day. We all have those. And those are usually because we're hungry, angry, lonely or tired. And that's my little thing called halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. But for the most part, you know, if you get up, you're well rested. You got some food in your belly. I'm blessed. I'm ready to go. So I think attitude is a combination of that personality, the character, your belief system, and internalizing all that. What do you think about all that? <laughs> but I think it's fascinating because they are um, such, uh, if you actually take a step back and look at what you are as an individual, everyone from you to me to everyone listening is yes. these are things that are us. I mean, we are so convinced that there is someone always watching, judging, uh, critiquing, validating us that we aren't comfortable in our own skin, right? So we are constantly trying to develop our personality to a certain standard, adapt our character to a suitable um level of acceptance uh, and then take a belief system that will help us belong. And I feel uh, more and more in a connected world for the good or the bad, it seems like there are so many more external factors that are shaping these things, which if you look at it, it's like your body and your mind. It's one of the few things or few of the things that it's truly yours and that you can truly say, this is mine and this is how I'm going to navigate life. But it seems that those fundamental foundation stones uh, of you are being pulled and being just sort of like 
a carpet being pulled from under your feet. And um, that's why it's fascinating, right? Because you can really, at, a, at, at whatever age, um, and I think reflect was an important thing that you said, because I think that's the only way you can truly appreciate what you have and recognize the personality, appreciate the character that's come out of it, understand the belief system that's shaped as a result. And, you know, as you said, the attitude is a byproduct of that. But it seems like it's almost going from attitude in uh, backwards, which could be a problem because that's that's like the attitude without these strong values could be shaped by other people by, by whether it's it's groups whether it's institutions whether it's 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 external um, manipulation and, and and as a result that then working backwards could uh, manipulate your belief system it could manipulate your character it can uh, be subject to people saying you have to be this kind of attitude you have to be this kind of person to succeed in the world causing a lot of conflict and a lot of pain um do you, do you see that happening or do you sense uh, people going through that tumultuous phase? Yeah, I think that's been with us since the beginning of time. So, I mean, w- when you were talking about that, it going backwards and you not sitting to reflect on what you're thinking or what you're being told or influenced by. Um, so, you know, for years and years and years and years and years, there's been these things uh, in religious circles called cults. Mm-hmm. So there's a good example yeah, of yeah. people who have been told to believe a certain way um, and have maybe um, preyed upon people who didn't have enough um, fortitude or didn't have enough uh, mental power to think for themselves. Um, I think sometimes another good example is, is sometimes um, I'll talk with somebody and they are in uh, a relationship with somebody who is abusive to them and they cannot see that they need to get out Mm. (laughs) because they've been told so much that it's shaped their, um, it's taken their little personality, which is in there. It has shaped it with character. So I, my character might include uh, that I am meek, I am timid, mm. uh, I am fearful. Those are all character traits. And then um, and then I believe that I can't leave. But it's like, you know, you talk to somebody in this situation and you're like, you need to, you need to get some help. Um, and so, yes, I think all throughout history that has been the case. And so there's there's also this thing inside of us called our will. Yeah. And uh, people have heard, you know, like if you're on a diet, you need willpower. And that is absolutely true. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> or if you're going to change your character or you're going to change your leadership style or you're going to change your life, um, you're going to have to engage this thing called your will. And again, I think that is something um, beneath the head, beneath the heart and down in your um, like in your soul or your gut. Right. Like there's this will, this energy to get to get done what needs to get done, um, to sit still and do discernment. I mean, the first thing you need to do is if you're in a place where and this is what my daddy would say, he would be like, you've got stinking thinking. And so if you've got this stinking thinking, you know, you got to sit still and you have to do this thing called meta cognition, which is think about how you're thinking. Um, you can journal. You can do what Julia Cameron calls in her book, The Artist's Way, Morning Pages, where you just write stream of thought into a notebook, which I highly recommend. Um, You can talk with a counselor. You can talk with a therapist. um, You can get some coaching, which is a fantastic idea um, to help you kind of think about what's going on in your life. But ultimately, this this is the truth. This is one of the absolute truths in the world. 
is that for me, I've got to, I've got to take some action. And that's when you engage your will. And so there's this little book I love so much by um, Mike Kernacki. It's a little, it's a little old book. Um, and in that book, Mike Kernacki says that willingness is the ability. Don't miss that. The ability. So I'm able, I do it. The ability to do what needs to be done. Like I have taken into account what's around me. I've done my discernment or my um, reflection and I see what needs to be done. It's clear because I've sat still. I've got my head wrapped around it. I've done my metacognition. I do what needs to be done without three things, without three things, reservation, refusal, or judgment. Mm -hmm. So I just look and I say, okay, Here's what I need to do. So going back to the thing about like losing weight, you got to have willpower. So you look around and you're like, my clothes don't fit. My knees hurt. I don't feel good. Okay. Think about that for a minute. Get really close to it. And then say to yourself, without reservation, refusal, or judgment, I'm going to have a salad. That's what I'm going to do today. <laughs> I'm going to have a salad. Or if I'm in a bad, bad place, uh, in terms of a relationship or something, I look and I say, I think this person I'm with is unkind, mean to me, not right. Get close to that. And then you got to be willing to do what needs to be done without reservation, refusal or judgment. And so we're all responsible for our own journey. Um, and so we have to have what I call and you know this, um, this is from our psychology days. You have to have locus of control. Doesn't mean I control the world or I control anybody, but guess who I'm going to control? Nicole, that's who I'm going to control today mm. <laughs> because that's all I can do. You know, now I can influence with my attitude, um, the way I move in the world. I can totally influence. I can impact. I can energize those around me. Uh, that's what I call leadership. Um, but for the most part, the one thing I do have control over is this gal right here. <laughs> so yeah. let's do that first and then worry about everybody else later. Yeah, and I think the part which is uh, very scary for a lot of us is this going close and looking at it, right? Whether it's oh, yeah. in a uh, uncomfortable, um, when, when if you find it uncomfortable to face your reality of uh, an addiction you have, or a habit, or a, an unhealthy relationship, or whatever these things which are damaging to your daily living, um, while it's very easy from someone from the outside to say, hey, come on, it's bad for you. I can see this hurting you. But it forms a pattern of uh, reassurance that you might be terrified of losing because that's however unhealthy it, it is what you're comfortable with. And many of us are not comfortable, are very uncomfortable being out of the comfortable place that we, we are used to. So um, I want to ask you, um, along these lines, you, of course, we've identified personality as a very sort of innate part of the human being. And as a result, uh, with a few other people and ingredients, you kind of then develop a character, then as a result, that shapes the belief system. And then as a result, you have uh, these things creating an attitude that you face the world with. Um, how important is it for the first three elements, I mean, the first we can say is you. It's uniquely you. You born with this, with your genes or with your genetic messaging. Uh, but the second two, which is your character and your belief system, how important is it for those two things uh, to a 
Should it be static or is it okay for it to constantly change? Um, does that make sense, that, that, that question? Oh, of course. That is a beautiful question. Yeah, I think uh, you don't stop working on the quality of your character and your belief system until you pop off the planet. I mean, uh, we all have an, an incredible amount of work to do in terms of character development. So, you know, um, for example, um, people talk about becoming enlightened, right? You know, and uh, I love that idea of becoming enlightened. Uh, and because my name of my company is Vibrant uh, Coaching, mm. Consulting and Recruiting. And so um, I was given that word. Uh, I can tell you that story if you want to hear that. But um, I, that means that from within, I have lit up my interior. Mm. Okay. And so uh, that means that I have look, taken a really good, good look in the mirror and inside my soul and said, okay, what, what is going on with Nicole Greer? Um, so when I, when I think about that, um, there's a couple things that people can do to look at the quality of their character. One is um, I work with a, 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 an assessment, a whole series of training around this thing called the TILT. And so I'll explain the tilt to you just real quickly because it's really amazing. Yeah, please <laughs> so do. It's, yeah. Okay. It's a round uh, model, right? So envision a circle in your mind. Uh, and in that model, it says that there are four meta factors. So there's four things that Nicole Greer can concentrate on to become better. So the first thing I want to think about is how I use my head and wisdom. So I want to be a wise woman, right? So wisdom um, grounds you um, and creates a foundation for with which you move in the world, right? So um, there are three main core leadership strengths down there. Um, uh, and so you you kind of live where where you're you're trying to develop your wisdom. And that's one way of thinking. So mm -hmm. we were talking about how you get your belief system in place. So I believe that I should look at what other wise people have done in this world and outcomes they have gotten because of their attitude, because of their behavior, their action, their philosophy. And I look at those people and I say, oh, that's a very good way to move in the world. Mm. Mm, I think I'll try those on. So it's really about architecture. Uh, uh, architecture of a philosophy, right? So putting a solid foundation in place based on what you see works in this world. And then also having proper perspective, right? So looking at things again, I turn the mirror inward, I do reflection, I look out in the world and I see what's going on. So I put a firm foundation in place. So I use my head and I use wisdom. So I have to be a scholar. Okay. Now that's one type of thinking. Now there's another type of thinking. It's at the top of the model. And at the top of the model, that kind of thinking is called resilience thinking. And so things are ever changing, right? So think, you know, today is going to be different than yesterday and today will be different from tomorrow. And that's how that works. The world is evolving and moving. And so I have to have one foot firmly planted on the bottom of the model in wisdom, but I have to have another foot at the top of the model where I am seriously resilient, right? So I am a visionary, I am open-minded, and I'm an inventor. So I want to invent a new way. I want to have a vision of where I'm supposed to go because, again, I'm not a mistake. I was put on the planet for a reason, and I better figure out what my mission and my vision are. So, so I look at how other people have been successful, but then I know that I'm here 
for a new purpose. So it's a balance. That's why it's called the tilt. You want to balance between this wisdom and this resilience. And resilience is really spirit, right? I'm spirited about things. So that kind of goes back to the attitude we've been talking about, right? So it's kind of like, okay, I've been looking at all these people in history. I've been looking at the people that do the work that I do. And here's what makes them successful. Check, 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 check. Okay, now what am I going to do? So I set my, I, with a spirited enthusiasm, I looked for the future and I say, what, what kind of business am I going to build? Well, you know, who are the people I want to help? What's my mission? So I balance between that. And that is a thinking style as well. And so you think with your spirit and you think with your head. All right. So it's the balance between these two. Now on the left and the right side of the model, we have two feeling styles. And feeling is very closely related to attitude, right? Mm. Because earlier I said, uh, you know, sometimes you have a, you have a bad moment, you have a bad day. And that's because you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, right? Mm. So when your humanity is, is worn down, um, you're going to have a bad day. Now, uh, once you've gotten yourself energized again, and I'd love to talk about the energies. I got six energies if you want to talk about that. Um, but you have two feeling styles. And one feeling style is humanity and heart. And so with my heart, I feel for the world, right? So while I've got a a solid foundation, a philosophy I'm cooking up, a belief system I'm cooking up, I'm using my spirit to to test it and to try it out in the world and to go out and, you know, uh, be a visionary. At the same time, I balance it with like, who am I going to help? Who needs me? I mean, again, I'm not a mistake. What's my purpose? And so I I balance it with this humanity or heart feeling. So this allows me to be empathetic, compassionate. Um, And my favorite thing is, you know, make people laugh, make make people go up the feeling scale. You know, that's that that's really my strongest humanity trait is that I'm, I'm a bit of an entertainer. So when I go out and talk to people, they leave like, oh, that was fun. And I'm like, "Okay, good. You know, and so it's up here. So that's one feeling style. Now, the last thing on the right side of the model is the feeling style of courage. Mm. And so courage is so important. And uh, courage is, uh, let me go back to the humanity for a second. You feel that with your heart. So on the right-hand side, you have a feeling style called courage, and you feel that with your gut. And Mm. again, you have to have one foot firmly planted on humanity. Love the people. You know what? people are broken sometimes they're mean sometimes their attitude stinks you love them anyway because hating them ain't gonna fix anything so love 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 now on the other side there's courage and so i feel it with my gut now sometimes these people that aren't nice or these people who are stuck i have to use courage to champion a new way i have to use courage to help people see that they're out of integrity uh, in terms of their character or their belief system, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, so I have one foot right on my gut and one foot on my heart. So really, being a great leader, being a great human, being vibrant is all about checking into all parts of this model. And and if you go deeper into the tilt model, and if anybody wanted a copy of this, they could email me. Um, I'd be glad to give it to them. But there are forty eight. Don't miss that. Forty eight character traits related to these quadrants and so you can't get all that done but in a lifetime Mm. it takes a lot of work to work on all four quadrants no it sounds like a very holistic way of 
facing the world, which I oh, think yeah. is it's got a sense of intellectualization. It's got a sense of feeling, uh, which many times people in a technologically information rich world, they get the intellectualization, they get the rationalization, they can uh, sure. put everything in like concepts, right? Oh, I know what it is to be positively manifesting what I want or say all the right things, but it's very hard to see that through and let that soak in and let that come from a place. And you mentioned very importantly, wisdom, because knowledge is very easily accessible, but how do you convert that into a wise yeah. way of applying that to your life? Because it's a while you said, you know, what does that leader do that I want to do? Great. That person has done what he or she has to, but it's not necessarily going to work for you. So then you get frustrated and you feel a sense of rejection. Then you feel like I'm the victim. The whole world is out to get me. Why doesn't anything work out for me? I'm the, I'm, you know, you feel this loop starting of pity and, and guilt and fear and lack of self-worth. And the next thing you know, you find a community online that says, Hey, no, it's not you. The world is the problem. We are, we all are victims. And next thing you know, we're in this big soup <laughs> called 2023 <laughs> where everyone feels like the victim. And uh, I totally respect that, 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 that the points of grounding, right? Whether it's in the heart and whether it's in the humanity or the mind, but when you're surrounded by by things that can easily seem overwhelming and entice you into this belief system where it's not your fault, but the world has to change and it's not in your hands and it's not in your control. And it's not your, it's not your fault that who you are is who you are, but you're the victim of this society and there's always someone to blame. How does that, I think there's a two kind of fold uh, thing. I want to take this conversation in. One is, how do you remind yourself about the personality, character, and belief system that you are? And I think the second thing is, in this wave of constant negativity, how do you even give spark to one positive thought? Yeah, so um, so the way that I keep it in front of me is that I have a very beautiful um, morning practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, sh- I'll share with you, uh, I get up very, very early. So mm-hmm. even though you and I are in like seriously different time zones, I emailed you like, I don't know what, two hours ago or something and said, yeah. I'll see you on the podcast, you know? Yeah. Um, so I get up very, very early. Um, I really have kind of a nice spot in my home mm-hmm. and it, you know, it's really like a sanctuary. I'm, I set myself apart. Right. And I sit there quietly and I have a stack of books and seven or eight books on my Kindle that um, talk about the things that help me build my belief system and help me believe uh, build my character traits. So, for example, um, one of the things about that tilt model that I just shared is that on one side we have courage and on one side we have heart. Now, when I have taken the true tilt profile, uh, I come back always as more courage than humanity. Mm. So I'm pretty bold. I'm so pretty more guts outspoken. than heart, right? More gut than heart. That's right. I just move in the world like, come on, we can do it. Let's, come on. What are you guys waiting on? Let's roll. You know, mm-hmm. like that's really what's going on in the inside of me. And I've always been that way. I mean, I'm 56 years old, but I can remember being very young. And just like not understanding why people won't roll. And I used Mm -hmm. to do this. I used to be like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Let's go. Come on, people, you know, suck it up, buttercup and all this kind of stuff. And so what I've learned, the wisdom, go down to the bottom of the model. What I've learned is that people don't respond to people who are too much gut, Mm -hmm. too bossy, Mm -hmm. too 
bullyish, too outspoken, too opinionated. People don't respond well. Mm. Don't miss that, everybody. (laughs) So, you know, it's like, oh, well, that doesn't work very good in the world. You lose friends. You lose your network. You lose credibility. Mm. You lose a lot of things if it's too much gut. So I've got to tilt and have one foot over on humanity. So I don't know. I'm sure you've uh, heard of Marianne Williamson before. But like she, all she writes about is love. Mm. That's all the girl writes about for the most part. (laughs) Yeah. And I adore her. And so every morning I get my little quiet time and I read uh, material from Marianne Williamson Mm. who tells me love is the way. Just love people today. Just, you know what you need to do? Love. Every day I read a little thing, love. Mm. So I'm conditioning myself. um, And if I sit back and I think, should I be more loving you know, if I do discernment and reflection, it seems right to me. Mm. So, so I can't tell you love is the way, but when I read Marianne Williamson stuff, I'm like, no, that's the way. Plus, and can that I be, added, uh, sorry, just to add to that, can it be for someone yeah. who's more hovering on heart and humanity and who's very sensitive to everything around, they need to might, they need to maybe lean over and get a little more gritsy again. Like, come on, you know what? Stop, stop, you know, being so sensitive because you need to move on in life. So can that be the flip side to what you go through? Yes. Yes. And so, yes, there are people. Okay. So then if you're too much heart, here's typically what I have seen with people who are too much heart. They have too much empathy for people and don't tell people the, the truth. Um, they clean up after everybody. They uh, enable other people. They fall victim to other people's bullying Hmm. where they need to put one foot over on the courage side and say, stop, that's enough. I've got it. I'm going to love you, but I'm, but I'm going to, I'm going to step back and not give myself over to you. Right. I'm going to champion my own way in the world. I'm going to be bold and tell you to stop. And I'm going to be bold and tell you I'm not cleaning up after you anymore. And that could be at work. I mean, how many people do you know at work that like never hold people accountable, never set proper expectations. And then they're like a victim. Right. So that's somebody who's on the humanity side too far. So, again, when you say, you know, developing this character, it's your whole lifetime. Because every scenario is a little testing ground for, you know, getting done uh, what you want to get done in terms of shaping your character. So there's this great line in a book that I love, and it says, um, here's what you need to do. Be gentle, but forthright. And I think that's very good advice. So that's one foot on courage. I'm going to be forthright, and it's one foot on humanity. But I'll be gentle about it. I'm not going to you know, be blunt. You know, uh, I had, I had this woman in a, like a group setting one time and, uh, I sat there. This is so funny. I sat there and I said to the whole group, I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this thing called the art of dialogue. And so I explained the whole group coaching technique to them. And one of the things I said was, is I want you to be gentle, but forthright, meaning you can ask a question that's candorous, but you can't do it in a way that it feels like it's violent, like you're hitting people with your question. And so this, I mean, like I went through this whole thing, like for 
seven or eight minutes setting this thing up. And this woman said, well, I don't know. I'm just going to tell it like it is. People tell me I'm blunt and that's what you can expect. Is that okay? And I was like, did you even no, listen to what I just said? Okay. <laughs> I just told you. I, so I want to just interject, uh, interrupt you for a second because I feel that's <laughs> where a lot of people are in today's world, right? They kind of find that corner. They take up, they, they put these sandbags, they kind of hole in there going, you know what? This is my stance in life. I'm right. You're wrong. Whether it's, right. it's with the workout, whether it's with their political view, whether it's with their philosophy, whether it's with anything you take any topic whether it's climate change whether it's uh, animal rights and it's just that there's no dialogue it's like they're either you know in this position of oh i'm wiser than you or i'm more resilient like you know you see that sometimes in in, in the in the disability space where they're like i've overcome anything you have no clue what i've been through or anything when someone plays this thing of i've seen adversity and i've overcome it or the other sensitive thing, right? You never get my problem. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's such a tough world. Or the other thing where it's like, come on, you people, you have no clue how life is tough. It's just going to come and catch up with you. You better man up or you're going to be all, you know, all those, the gung-ho talk, which you were talking about. But it's all those four things in there, in themselves, just on their own as an attitude is a problematic attitude because it is, um, it's, it's, it's resistance to yes. existing with other people and, as it is, whether you like it or not, if you're living in anywhere in the world right now, unless you're kind of secluded on an island on your own, which is very hard to find, uh, you are, have to get along with other people, which is seeming harder and harder for people to do. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, so there's there's this other book you may be familiar with it, and I you know I love to read, and, and that's the other mm. thing. I, you know, I I think people who have a good attitude. Going back to your very original question, what I mean, if you read um, material on leadership, on uh, communication, relationship, all of that, that's so good for you, um, because real usually the author's intent is to create a better leader, to create better relationship, to create better communication. Rarely do you find a book on here's how to communicate poorly. You, that that one doesn't sell. So nobody writes that book. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a thing. Um, but there are I'd love to books. I'd love to uh, get one uh, how to communicate poorly and it just kicks off on the market. Everyone's like this is what's been missing in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean it might be fun just to put it out there see what happens like you know as a downloadable free book see how many downloads you get or something yeah um but there's this gal her name is dr liz wiseman and um she wrote this book called multipliers and mm. in this book which i get you, you should get this book it's kind of like a you know researchy book but it would be good for you to read something like that mm. so anyways in her book she writes about how um let's say you have a scenario uh, and you're having a meeting, whether it's your homeowners association, it could be a holiday dinner, it could be um, something at work. And, uh, you know, you, you are having this meeting. And let's say the meeting is like this. It's like, this is this is a meeting that we don't usually have. We're going to do a special project. So we've invited key contributors to come to the meeting. And so I get the email, you get the email. And like there's several other people get the email, but we don't know each other got it. Well, I walk in the room and sit down, the conference room, I'm in the conference room and I sit down and nobody's there yet. But then you walk in and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is going to be a great project. Oh, he is so smart. He's so intelligent. He's open-minded yet. He's very wise, oh, but he loves people yet. He's, he doesn't mind telling his opinion in a great way. It's going to be a great, this is going to be a great meeting. 
Well, then the next person walks in and you and I are like, look, oh, we love working with that person. And so we keep going what I call up the feeling scale because Mm. don't miss this. The experience of all three people in this room has been very positive and good. And we feel like these people are full of light, right? Well, then guess who walks in? Oh my gosh, here she comes. We all look at each other and our eyebrows go up to here and we're like, oh no, mm-hmm. she's in this meeting. Because the experience of her is so terrible. She's mm-hmm. blunt. She she says, I don't care what y'all think. This is what I think. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of stuff she says. Yeah. Um, her attitude, dare I say this, sucks. Yeah. And When I say sucks, I mean, she takes all the air out of the conference room. Are you with me right now? Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, you know, that. There's a sense of tension uh, because you kind of end up saying things um, which you you typically wouldn't say because you're kind of walking on eggshells. You don't know when that person's going to explode, when the person's going to get aggressive, when that person's going to like, and it's always coming from a place of what's the word Uh, from a, a provocative place. And that's yeah. a bit tiring. She's trying to provoke. That's exactly yeah. right. And you're trying to diffuse. So it's very, it's very tiring, isn't it? It is. And so this is what Liz says in her books it is that, you know, the three of us were in the room, right? You, me, and the other person. And we, we will immediately think this is going to be a good project. We don't even know what the project is, mm. but because these humans are involved, we're like, because we're, you know, because one of our one of our beliefs is we can figure it out. We're figure outers. You give us a problem, we figure it out. But then this other gal walks in, and she's what Liz Wiseman calls a diminisher. Mm. So mm. here we had three people who were very smart, uh, wise, spirited, resilient, full of humanity, and courageous. And one person walks in, and we all get small. But isn't there a sense, I mean, I could be completely off point with this, but when, when at least in, 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 the, in the past, I don't know if things have changed now, there's a certain kind of um, way a person in a corporate who had to lead had to be, which was this, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the boss and I don't take shit from anyone. I, 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 it's my way or the highway or all these kind of MBA uh you know, things that people would expect to do, like in a group discussion where they're applying for a, uh, what do you call it? Applying for a college position. They have to outdo and seem like they're more louder. They seem like they're more confident. They have to put down the others to break up. At least it was. I don't know if it is anymore. Uh, the cap, the corporate ladder and you, 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 you basically have to shine and you have to at, at any cost look like you're uh, the, the biggest in the room and all these various kinds of things where it never seemed like take everyone along with you. It's, I, it's only your success that matters and that just seems like that diminisher person because it's aggressive it's shouting down others who you don't agree with it's a sense of my progress not a collective well-being um has that changed or uh is 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 that prevalent in corporate culture or generally across society um, I would say it's still out there for sure. I, I can't tell you if it's ever, I don't think it's everywhere. I do think there are enlightened leaders. I think there are people trying 
very diligently uh, to bring that more holistic person uh, to the party. Mm. Um, But I will tell you, um, because what you said was like this definition of ambition, Mm. right? So, so I think ambition is very good. That's one thing I want to say real quickly. Yeah. And when I say ambition, I mean, like, it's like, I believe I can move in the world and I can make great things happen, but not at the expense of others. And, and the thing about being a leader, um, especially somebody who, like you said, has an MBA that wants to climb the corporate ladder, you know, the thing that gets you up the ladder the, that, that I see a trend changing is not so much what you know, but how you know to manage others. Because the truth of the matter is you have to turn around and go, is, is anybody following me? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, if, if you're a leader and nobody is following you, that is a big problem. Yeah. Um, and they are doing more and more and more and more um, out there in the, in the world in terms of giving leaders feedback. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, in the 1950s, there wasn't a lot of that. 60s, eh, you know, now these days, leaders are getting tons of feedback, which is fantastic. Yeah. I think that's important because this other way is very, um, it's it's like a playground where everyone kind of is afraid of the bully because you don't know what they're going to do next, right? But 20 years later, you're like working from that premise where you're kind of always flinching when someone like that walks into a room and it's not... It, it, you kind of get very, um, you feel very repressed when you're surrounded by people like that. Um, 100%. Yeah, it's I, the A yeah. in Hulk, angry. You're like, oh my gosh, she's on this project. Are you kidding me? She is always such a, such a hassle to deal with. And you get mad and you mm. lose your emotional intelligence. <laughs> so. And you know, that's happened when you talk to some people, you know, you might seem like your poise and your whole... You brought your holistic self to that conversation. But then that some individual like that, who's one of these things, which is aggressive or too resilient or too um, it's too much of a go-getter, it kind of, it makes you feel like you're operating from a place of threat and you're constantly then grabbing onto your, like the point that you made, which was a point about a project becomes my point. How dare my point is wrong? And you become extremely attached to that and as a result become very uh, obsessed about defending that and as a result get very upset about it so everything which was an idea becomes me and now I'm defending my existence and my value system and my character and that just takes it to an entirely unhealthy level right (laughs) absolutely and so um, I think fear is a big part of it so we're kind of dipping into this this area of emotional intelligence. And so um, the the human body, again, I love what you said earlier. You said, I've only got, I've only, I do have my body and I do have my mind and I I have ownership of those. I think you said something like that, which was genius. Um, And so that's absolutely true. And so in your body, you have this wonderful thing called a nervous system. And um, you have a couple things that that happen as you inputs come into your world, right? So again, we're at the conference, we're in the conference table, and in she walks. Um, she walks in the room, and we've all had a terrible experience with her. And her attitude again sucks the life right out of the room. Well, at the base of your neck, you have a little part of your brain called your amygdala, and the scientists affectionately call that the lizard brain because Mm. it is our pre-evolutionary brain that's still in there. And so that little amygdala is responsible for four. People used to think it used to be two in our psychology books, but now there's four 
things that the amygdala is responsible for. It's responsible for fight. You know, like I'm going to fight with her. If she says anything, I'm going to tell her. Right. Uh, The second one is flight, which is I'm getting off this project as soon as possible. I'm not dealing with her. I'm out. Okay. The third thing, which is which is a new evolutionized part of our brain, which is freeze. Mm. Okay. And so I see her. I look over at you. You raise your eyebrows. Look over at our other friend. They raise their eyebrows. And we all go like this. We all cross our arms and shake our heads three times. And now we're frozen. So that's called freeze. So I'm not going to do anything. I'll be on this project, but I'm going to sit back for a while. Mm. I'm just going to see what happens because I'm not going to waste my time and energy on her. Right. Um, And then the fourth thing is deflect. Right. Mm. And so uh, I might in that moment decide, wait a minute, this isn't my job. I, I'm not going to do this. It's not in my job description to help with this special project. <laughs> so I, I'm going to deflect it back to the leader. I'm sorry. That's not my job. That's not my, my deal. That's not mine to deal with. I'm not dealing with her. And so I'm like Teflon pan. I just boink, I bink it right back <laughs> to the leader. I say, I'm not doing it. And so uh, out there in the world, you've probably heard this thing about quiet quitting or employee engagement and all these mm. kind of things. Yeah. Uh, I think what that is, is a fearful response of freeze and deflect. Yeah. So people are at work, but they're not doing anything. So, so it's quiet quitting and they're, they're fearful of the people. They're fearful of the future. They're fearful of a lot of things. And so they just freeze up or deflect. So these things, these four things do a lot to our energy because you mentioned the nervous system. And I think you mentioned uh, six energy states earlier. So maybe before we, kind of draw this conversation to a close. Um, these clearly, when you are experiencing the, the, uh, letting this brain, part of the brain or when this part of the brain overrides your evolved conscious brain, if you want to call it, um, there are certain energy states that I'm sure that you go through or you end up in. Uh, so could you take me through what happens and as a result, what lasting effect that has, say, if you are constantly experiencing one of these states or all of them in some version, how does that uh, th- th- that end up shaping your, well, character, your belief system, and as a result, your attitude? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I love what you said. So get to your conscious brain, which is exactly what we mean when we say somebody has emotional intelligence. So they, they realize, oh, my gosh, I just got hijacked by this gal coming in this meeting. Mm-hmm. So you get a hold of yourself. And you can only get a hold of yourself if you are able to stop and reflect in the moment. And that's why this reflection thing that I do at the beginning of the day, fill my mind with good stuff, um, do the morning pages. Uh, at the end of the day, do this thing called the examine, examine my day. So you say it funny like that. I don't know why they say it funny like that, but that's correct. Mm. Um, and you are able to reflect. So when you build your reflection muscle in the moment, um, I, I have emotional intelligence. So I'm like, oh, wait, I'm going to come to my free prefrontal cortex, you know, where all this really beautiful gray matter is. And I'm going to think about this situation. And so now I think, you know, it's just her. I just ignore the ugly and listen for the genius that might slip out. <laughs> it's like, just be, take the high road, be a mature person. Now to be able to reflect and not be tired or go to the place of being hungry, angry, lonely, or tired 
um, you're going to have to work on your six energies. And so when I work with a client, I, I, I give them the, the vibrant energy audit. And if, if anybody listening would like this thing, email me and I'll get it to you. So in the uh, vibrant energy audit, I talk about how you have to have intellectual energy. So one of the things I shared is I do a ton of reading. I love TED Talks. Don't y'all love the TED Talks? Um, And so you do a lot and you put knowledge in here, right? So like you said, it's knowledge. But when you sit with the knowledge and it sinks, it becomes wisdom. So I have intellectual energy. So I have to keep my thinker thinking. The next energy I have is emotional. So this goes back to humanity and heart. Mm. So I've got to remind myself, just love everybody. Yeah, Love them. They, they don't know. They don't, they don't mean it. They're, they're hurting themselves. That's why they're hurting others. Yeah, <laughs> Just love, yeah. right? And then you go to your belly place. And so you have spiritual energy. So I think, again, this is like, what do I believe? Like a big reason I get up and get out of bed and do stuff, like have a, a podcast with you at eight in the morning, mm. is because I have a purpose, mm. a mission. I know that my life is meant for something. So that's spiritual energy. Then there's physical energy. Here's the truth. If you feel bad in your body, it's very hard to do good work. Mm. That's just how it is. Yeah. <laughs> then after physical energy, there's social energy. So mm. you you emailed me from halfway across the world and say, want to do a podcast? I'm like, sure. <laughs> it's like, why not? You know, yeah. I mean, why not make friends around the world? I'm coming. I'm coming for you. I'm coming. All right. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be over there. I might you. be in North Carolina sooner than you're in Bangalore. So watch out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I've got a guest room with your name on it. Just Lovely. come on. I got the hotel going over here, the Greer Hotel. Please come. Thank you. Uh, and then there's social energy, right? And it's like, you know, here's here, here's the truth. That there's this old, old saying. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And mm. I, I think it's both. But you definitely have, have to have what and who. Mm. Um, and then the, the next energy. Also, I think an important thing, which is the gossip columns, is what you know about the who. <laughs> Oh, right, right. Well, you do have, you know, at the grocery store, you can read all those you yeah. know, tablets. What did right? they do last night <laughs> to wake up so late? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And the last energy is money. Um, and, uh, peop- you know, you have a very hard time in this life if you don't get your money together. Mm. Uh, and money is just energy. So, for example, today I'm going to work. And I'm going to hopefully do really good work because, as you said at the beginning of the show, my attitude is right. The work I do is grounded in wisdom. I've done my homework. Uh, I'm going to be bold today. I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to love people. I'm going to do humanity. And I'm going to I'm going to live out my vision. Uh, I'm going to be resilient. You know, things go wrong. I'm going to, like, you know, get knocked over and bump right back up. I'm going to be tilting today. Um, and so when I go out and do that really good work, you know, what do people do when they pay me? They pay me happily. Yeah, absolutely. Because and, it's not, and, a, and I build that, that energy comes to me and then I go spend money with people who help me. It just all goes around. It's just energy. So the money is not something you hold on to. It's not a hoarding, uh, approach, right? Oh, look how much I have. Look how much money energy I have. It's about sharing it. And I think that's so important, right? Because it is just a, it, a, like any other energy. It's something that you have to spend, you have to let go of. And as you let go of more, you get more of that if you approach it like that. But if you see it as a finite thing that you have to possess, then it's it becomes something that eats you up. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, if if you if you don't know much about finances, it's so important to learn. 
And I, you know, and here's the thing. I don't know how you grew up, but I didn't have a, a father or a mother who taught me about money. Did mm-hmm. you have that? Um, no, I mean, not really in the sense they told me the importance of not being too kind of too much of a spendthrift, you know, uh, because, right. you know, you have money doesn't grow on trees. And I'm like, why doesn't it? Right. You know? But uh, <laughs> it'd be nice. But it would be. Uh, but yeah, clearly it was not a financial literacy like, oh, you know what? Money compounds, money saves. Why is it important to save? Uh, but it was seen as a if you don't have money, you're not going to be able to live the life that you do have. Uh, that was definitely something which uh, we had to appreciate. But it was also, I think, a lesson, which is not just my parents, but it was uh, th- at the time that if you have more money, you're a better person um, or you're a person to respect or you're a person to look up to, which I, which kind of drove a lot of my thinking till very recently because I said my self-worth is dependent on how much money I have, which is such a tiring way to live. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that uh, it, when you look at how money works, you can see that it's energy, right? So for example, you know, I my father never invested in the stock market, but I'm married to a gentleman who looks at the stock market every day. Mm. Now, here's what people don't understand is, or maybe they do understand, but they haven't sat quietly and reflected on it. Um, is that, you know, those companies on that New York Stock Exchange are full of a bunch of humans putting out energy to to make that stock go up. Yeah. They're trying to be innovative and creative, bold and courageous, take care of the employees, humanity, and be wise about what they're doing. You know, don't spend, you know, more in the budget than you have. Um, now, those people are putting out energy. I put my money in there and I take advantage of this energy. But here's the thing. The more money that stock attracts, the better it does in the stock market. It's just all energy going around. Right. So, um, you know, you don't necessarily you do need to hold on to some of it. I do, let me just say you do need yeah. to have some money in the savings account in case something weird happens. Yeah, like life. a Silicon oh. Valley bank kind of incident. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my husband, he, when that happened, he came out. He's like, the whole thing went under. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Um, which I just hope it doesn't start a whole, you know. 2008, but, yeah, financial crisis. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you know, you, you've got to have some money put away. Um, you've got to pay your credit cards off in full because, mm. again, you don't want to become a slave to the credit card yeah, company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's just all energy. So um, I love this. I love that topic. No, it's brilliant because, you know, the thing is when you are – um, able to part with it. And I've noticed sometimes, you know, it's it's, it's never been a, a, too much of a problem and I've had too much money coming in. I haven't faced that problem, but it's it's usually a decent amount when I do some work for shows. And But, you know, sometimes when there's too much money coming, you get, I get a little stressed. I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to manage this? Am I going to, uh, you know, is it going to stop? Am I going to have enough when this stops? You know, it's the, the, the way it happens. The fear. It, the fear, yeah. But if you look at it as energy, you're like, hey, you know what? I can use this energy, do something with it 100%. and not be afraid that the energy is going to end. Uh, that's exactly right. And so, you know, you take a look at that energy that's coming in. And again, you go back to the bottom of the model and you use wisdom. And here's the thing. If you don't know, there are these wonderful people in the world called financial planners. Mm. And, um, and my my financial planner is Missy Carlson. So give her a call. Look her up on the Internet. She's with Edward Jones. <laughs> and no, and Nicole, I want to ask they're you, all so, trained yeah. to teach you how to, what to do with your money. They'll, they'll gladly help you. Right. No, I want to ask you, um, 
can we can someone who's like me maybe who's having a tough time making sense of this money uh uh story can they look at if you say one is money is an energy but can they look at it like the ocean like ebbs and flows where you might have some days which are better but some days it's not going to dry up but it just doesn't flow as well because of certain cycles certain places but, and all these other energies also might contribute to that can can they look at it like oh, that yes. Yes, of course. So you mentioned 2008, right? So in 2008, um, uh, again, I, my husband and I are very smart about our money, mm. uh, but that takes reflection, intentionality, and you have to have a plan and you have to learn. Um, so in 2008, uh, like a lot of people, we were surprised by what happened in the market. However, we were prepared. Mm. So we, you know, like most people, we lost a bunch of money in our uh, 401ks and the different things like that. But we weren't dependent on those things to survive. Therefore, we just let it sit there. And now it, what, what happened in the interim, it was right back up where it was. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, it's right back where it is. Now, uh, I know people that have gotten in such debt that they've cashed out their 401ks early to pay off something. That's not what yeah. a 401k is for. And another thing <laughs> which is similar, I see in India with an, it's an emerging economy. There's a very strong middle class coming up. I see people who make, say, hunter, make $50,000, $100,000 or the equivalent in Indian currency, spending double of that to have a lifestyle that they can't. Uh, they can't afford, oh, but no. it has to be uh, for appearance sake. And that's so, and, and then, then the pandemic, the that's lockdown hit and people just got shattered because that entire image that they built through um, projected or rather through inflated sense of money really just slipped away. And next thing they're like, shit, I'm in debt, but I can't. And, and there's no point showing this. Who, who do I show it to? I'm locked up in this flat, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. So on Netflix, there's this show about the, is it the Indian matchmaker? Do you know this one? I've, I've heard about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've you got to watch that. one episode and then let me know if this is for real. No, no I'm sure it is because I've heard a lot of people talking about it. I think there are a couple of these uh, themed uh, shows on Netflix and on Amazon about the matchmaking and about the uh, amount of money they spend, about how important oh it is. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. No, I mean, you don't have to watch that show to know if you live in India. It's like every, uh, it's, it's pretty common for people to go extravagant. Like even if they have, say, $10,000, they'll, they'll borrow and they'll go into debt to spend $50,000 on a wedding. And this happens uh, across society. Of course, the amounts change, the extravagance changes, but it, it is too. a very inher inherent thing to be seen spending big on, my, on, on your child's wedding. Yeah, yeah. But, but I just sit and I look at that and I think, whoa, you yeah. know, uh, and I'm all about following your faith and doing the different days and, the, and whatever is part of that culture. I think all of that stuff is beautiful. And I'm curious about it when I understand it. and everything. Yeah, but having Mick Jagger and, singing when you're getting married, I don't think is required for a Hindu Indian wedding. <laughs> Right. Like that could be a little over the top. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah I yeah. mean, you know, it's just, you know, again, we got to go back to wisdom. What, you know, what does wisdom call for? You know, and yeah. here's the thing when you're not wise with your money, it cripples your spirit because mm. you cannot see a way out. And so now you're, you're kind of, you know, in a problem on both sides of that, that model. Right. Yeah, because you have the um, money I, and it's suffocating you because you're not enjoying the money. And then your your spirit is like, I want more, but this money is doing nothing for me. So then it becomes dejection. You're like, it never satisfies. It's an endless loop of uh, wanting with, with, with not being fulfilled. And that just 
bleeds you uh, emotionally, spiritually, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I have this little energy audit, and um, there are 10 things uh, that you can do to boost your energy in all six of those. Mm -hmm. And so if anybody's interested in that resource, I'd be glad to send it to you. That's really uh, much appreciated, Nicole. And I think it's a really good place to, um, I think, let people sort of have whatever we've spoken about, um, have time to reflect and kind of absorb it. And I think definitely head over to your website and reach out to you if they have any questions or they want to sort of uh, use these resources. And I really appreciate you taking the time. And it's been absolutely lovely chatting with you. Uh, and uh, appreciate the time and you sharing all the uh, tools that you use to help people, your experiences. And I think uh, it's great work that you're doing. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on your show. Lovely. Thanks, Nicole. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.